Thanks for checking out this video. My name's Kiara, and I hope you enjoy this message from Redemption Church. Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 6 this morning. That's where we'll spend the bulk of our time. We're in a series. It's a four-week series. This is week three, simply entitled The Church. And we started this two weeks ago now, or two weeks ago from today. And what we did is we just laid out the thesis statement of the church by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. And in that, we started by saying that the church is fundamentally all about Jesus, that Jesus is the head of the church, that the church is to be powerful, that the church is to operate as a family, and that in the church, people are to grow to full maturity in Christ, meaning we don't just go to church and settle in and say, all right, I've arrived as a Christian, or at least I said yes to Jesus, so I'm probably okay now. No, in the church, in the proper church, in the church that Jesus came to plant, we continue to grow into full maturity. And then collectively, the church uh, with Jesus, as it said, is to reflect Jesus here on earth. We're to be the hands and the feet. That's another way that scripture talks about it, of Jesus. Then last week, we talked about the mission statement of the church, not just our church, but the church, as shown throughout the um, a slew of scripture passages. And so we took this, uh, all of these verses, and, and as you see, it is always pointing the church in one direction. Here's how we say it around here. We exist to help all people. We don't get to have a market segmentation in the church. We're not just for one group or another. We're for all people because the gospel is for all people. We exist to help all people experience redemption, the ransom payment of Christ, the good news of the gospel. We exist to help all people experience redemption and to live in freedom. We don't want people just to experience Christ coming to salvation, but then still be bound by uh, the, the slavery of sin or the law or religion. And so uh, we exist up all people experience redemption and then live a life of freedom, which looks like joy and worship and passion and wisdom and knowledge of Christ. So that's why we exist. And what we're doing throughout this series is we're, uh, it's like we're climbing a ladder or a pyramid and the bottom or week one is what's most important. And so why are we a church? Well, why we're most fundamentally a church is because of what Jesus said the church is. And then like the second level of that layer or of that pyramid is, is why we exist or what we're trying to accomplish, to see all people experience redemption and live in freedom. And then this week, we're like another level up. And as you climb up, it's actually uh, in decreasing importance. What's most important is understanding what the church is. Today, we're going to talk about how the church operates. Now, the church is not an organization, but it does require organization, the church is not an organization, but it has elements of it that reflect an organization. And we know this intrinsically, that how you operate matters. It's why you pick Chick-fil-A over KFC. It's why if you're looking for low prices, you pick Walmart over something else, because how you operate matters. Now, the church is not a business like Chick-fil-A or Walmart, but how the church operates matters. And we see this right at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 6. So we're going to look at it this morning. You should have gotten uh, one of these on your way in. You can kind of follow along. This is like a summary of who we are as a church. We're on the front. I'm sorry, we're on the top of the back now today. And that's week three. And then next week, we'll hit week four. And so that's kind of where we're at 
this morning. Now, we're going to do this by examining this passage in Acts chapter 6. Now, the passage starts like this. It says, now in these days, these days. Now, these days are exciting, those days. Those days were the early days of the church. The Holy Spirit had fallen on the day of Pentecost. The the gospel had gone out. Uh, The church was growing rapidly. Uh, These days were also just days after when two of the disciples had um, literally been killed by the Holy Spirit because they had lied uh, and and broken the the, the, or breached the trust of the community. And so that's happening in these days. Uh, There's persecution. The priests are standing in opposition to the advancement of the gospel. Uh, There are people are getting thrown into jail. Uh, I mean, these days, they're full of good and they're full of bad. They were certainly exciting. That's what those days were. Now, in these days, these days of the early church, when the disciples were increasing in number, if you have grown um, leery of churches talking about numbers, um, in the scripture, there's good talk about number and there's bad talk about number. In the um, book of Acts, 10 times, they mentioned the growth of the church. Uh, If it was one or two, you would say, okay, uh, you know, that's just one or two times. But 10 times, it seems like they're trying to prove a point. But here's what's interesting. When they do, they don't just say a growth of a number. They say the growth of disciples. So um, growing a church in size is means nothing. Growing the number of disciples means everything. And so when we talk about um, wanting to see growth, we don't just say we want to see growth in our church attendance. Who cares? We want to see growth in the number of disciples, people whose lives are fully 100% committed to the gospel. This is the type of growth that we see in the book of Acts, the growth of disciples. And so in those days, the growth of disciples was growing rapidly. I mean, disciples, people who had given their entire lives up for the gospel of Christ. And it was growing quickly. And then in those days, a complaint, or another translation says, a rumbling of discontent. A complaint. Some of you think, it's hard for me to imagine there being complaining in church. Well, it existed even back then. A complaint by the Hellenist those are the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews. Those are the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so here we have politics or favoritism or uh, just church governance and relationships within the context of the church already beginning to create some tension. Now, typically when you see a problem, if you want to understand what was the source of that problem, then you look to the proposed solution. And so as we jump a little bit further in the text, what we're going to see here that it seems like the heart of this problem is not that the Hebrews didn't like the Hellenist. What seems to be the heart of the problem based upon the solution that they come up with the problem is that they simply weren't able to properly serve these people. Modern language, we would say this. They had bad systems that created bad service. They had poor systems that created poor ministry. That was the first threat that was facing the church. Think about that. The first threat that was facing the church was that they had poor systems that were creating poor ministry. Now, there's a guy... He's important later in the text. Well, he's important here too. His name is James. He was Jesus' half-brother. Later in his little letter called James, he's going to write that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. 
And so here in Acts chapter 6, we see that they're neglecting the orphans and the widows. So it's not just that there's some minuscule little ministry that they're not handling well. James is saying, no, the entire integrity and credibility of the church is at stake right now. If you can't take care of widows and orphans, then you're not even really a church, James is saying later. This is your fundamental call. But what's stopping them from um, receiving or from doing their fundamental call? Bad systems. Poor systems were leading to poor ministry, and it was striking at the credibility of the church. Now, if you've grown up in church um, or been around church at all, you've heard this phrase, well, it's just church. Just church. In other words, I'll give it half effort. It's just church. It doesn't need to look good. It's just church. I don't need to show up on time. It's just church. I don't need to practice my sermon. It's just church. And we use the phrase just church as an excuse to give less of an effort to the kingdom of God than we would give to anything else in our lives. Poor systems was leading to poor ministry, was striking at the very heart of credibility of the church. This was the first threat. Now, there is a second threat that's also proposed. Here it is. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right. Now, that phrase, it is not right, no one said that it was right, at least not in our text, which means someone must have said that it was right outside of the text, which is why they countered with it is not right. Right? Okay. So the second threat here to the church is that the people who have been given a clear spiritual gift of teaching and preaching are going to be taken from that spiritual gift to focus on something else. The second threat here is a de-emphasis in the priority of preaching and prayer. Now, these two threats, I would say, are universal threats that have faced every church in every era of time up until today and will into the future. Poor systems leading to poor ministry and deprioritizing or improperly prioritizing preaching and prayer. Which means if we want to be the church that Jesus came to plant, if we want to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, then we have to counter these two threats. Now let's see how they do it. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. By the way, some of you, that like offends you. Because um, you think, well, what, they're, they're too good to serve tables? Next week, we're going to kind of answer that question, and we're going to see how God distributes gifts within his church. And the um, important thing to see here is that the gifts are given by God to people which means the person, no person is more important than another person, but certain gifts are to be utilized differently. So any prioritization of gifts is done by God or Jesus in his church, but it doesn't make one person better than another, which means each person must walk in humility regardless of their gift. Also, what we're seeing here is this, before I move on. We're going to see the first time there's, uh, one of the first times that there's conflict in the church. And whenever conflict exists, this is true in your business, in your marriage, in your friendships, in your relationships with your kids, uh, in all things. Whenever conflict exists, this is a principle, um, one of three things can happen. 
in, in, in the presence of conflict. The first is it can produce chaos. Conflict can produce chaos. When it's not properly handled well, conflict comes in, it produces chaos, and it implodes things. It implodes businesses, it implodes churches, it implodes uh, marriages, all sorts of things. So conflict can produce chaos. Some of you have seen or experienced that, and all of us have, in one area of life or another. Another thing conflict can do is it can produce complacency. And so conflict shows up, and instead of dealing with the conflict, what we do is we become complacent, which typically means either apathetic or silent, and we just stop. And then what happens is the thing doesn't implode. What it does is it just begins to bubble up inside. Some of us, our marriages are like this. There was a conflict at one point, and we just got complacent within the conflict. We never dealt with it. It never bubbled over. And so now it's just been like an underlying unnamed tension in the relationship for years. And the conflict has just produced complacency. And so nothing ever gets better, and there's no progress ever made. We're just complacent, and you stay at the same level. It's another thing conflict can do. The third thing conflict can do is it can produce greater commitment. And so some of us, have seen conflict handled well in a marriage. And your marriage is better than it's ever been because conflict came in and you dealt with it properly and it produced a deeper commitment to each other. Whenever there's conflict that arises in a, in a church, there's conflict between me and a member or somebody else, that's an opportunity to sit down, to handle it biblically, and then hopefully on the other side, there's an even greater commitment to each other. Conflict will produce one of those three things, chaos, complacency, or commitment. We have to see here, how did the first church handle conflict in the book of Acts? Here's their plan. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So here's their solution to the problem. We're neglecting them. And so our solution is we're going to delegate responsibility or we're going to rise up some new people to take over. This is not the first time we've seen this in scripture. All the way back in the Old Testament, when Moses was establishing the children of Israel, God came to him and he was like, or his, well, God came to him through his, his father-in-law and said, hey, you need to learn how to delegate. Like, that's an actual story in Exodus. So you're trying to do all this on your own, and until you delegate, it'll never properly happen. In the first church, they're uh, neglecting the widows and the orphans. Things aren't happening right. And the answer is, okay, we need to rise up some new leaders. Well, other people have got to begin to carry the weight of this. If it's just on the disciples, then they're going to be taken away from preaching and prayer. We can't have that. And if we leave it with just the disciples, then we're going to have a tension breakdown here amongst our different factions because our ministry isn't good. In other words, the entire movement is about to stall here if we don't handle this properly. Now look at these. In this case, it's just men. Uh, but let me say that later in the in other texts, um, Paul calls, we're going to talk about deacons this morning. Paul calls women deacons. And so if Paul thinks it's okay for women to be deacons, then we do too. That's just, we, Paul's smart. So um, here's these, these individuals. In this case, it's just men. First of all, here, here's why I'm going to go through this. Because my desire is that every person in here would um, grow in both their, um, their desire for greater ministry 
and their ability to execute greater ministry. Because as we've talked about, the church not being a business, a club, or a building, that church is you leaving this place and carrying the gospel with you. And here's what it's to look like then. First off, the first question is, what's their reputation like? Do they have a good reputation? In business, in their dealings, Do they handle themselves appropriately at restaurants, at sporting events? Do they have a good reputation? Would people say, I associate that person with good things? And so if that person is associated with that church or with Jesus, I see that as a good thing. Now, this isn't perfection. These people aren't perfect. And it's not that we can't recover from past mistakes. But they're saying their first test was, what is this person's reputation? Here's the second one. Are they full of the Holy Spirit? You know what that means? It means that they're pursuing Jesus on their own. That their relationship with Jesus is not contingent just because of the dating relationship they're in or the marriage they're in. That their relationship with Jesus is not even just contingent upon the fact that they show up to church, but that they have a personal relationship with Jesus. They're pursuing Jesus. They're confessing sin. They're reading scripture. They're growing in Christ. And if they were to never show up to church again, they would just keep following Jesus because their relationship with Jesus is personal. Now, there's obviously a corporate element to our relationship with Jesus. That's why we gather but if this church or any church or all churches in America all of a sudden closed, would you keep following Jesus? That's what these people are. And they're full of the Holy Spirit, which means they're fighting sin. They're changing. They're being sanctified. They're growing in Christ. Some of you are younger, younger than me. You desire ministry someday, full-time, maybe paid, all of that. Here's where you start. A good reputation being full of the Holy Spirit. Said so another way, faithful, where you're at now. Here's the third thing about these people. They're wise. Now, starting October 7th, we're going to do a full series called Becoming Wise. And so we'll talk about what wisdom is then. But the third thing that these people are is, is wise. They know the best course of action in moving forward. These three things are what the, they looked for in establishing people. Said another way, they were both good leaders and godly leaders. Both good leaders and godly leaders. Paul later is going to describe these people like this in 1 Timothy. He's going to say, deacons likewise must be dignified. That's a good word. Not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. Some of you are like, amen to that word, much. story for another day. Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, of course, this is just directed toward men. I've already explained how we feel about that. Um, by the way, there's another point in here, especially for those of us who are those who are single out there. Um, who you mat, who you marry, matters greatly in the level of effectiveness you will have in your ministry. And so, if God has put a ministry call on your life, 
Do not marry somebody who's going to derail that. Who you marry matters. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let me just hit this again. Spouses. Spouses. I'm just going to say this as clearly as I can. Your refusal to bow to Christ might be the thing hindering your spouse the most. So let Jesus change you. And it might release your spouse in a way that they never have been released before. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. How you parent matters. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so Paul was just given a description of these early deacons, and he's saying, this is who we're looking for in the church. There's a threat. One of the threats is organizational. The other threat is spiritual in the sense of prioritizing preaching and prayer. And in order to answer the problem, we need good leaders and we need godly leaders to handle conflict well so that there'll be greater commitment on the other side. And so we're seeing a pattern here, or we're, we're, we're learning how the church continues on in its mission. Establish good leaders. Now, here they see what happens next. The, the disciples, by the way, say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. See, in, in the church, you never delegate so that you can do nothing. You delegate so that you can do what only God has called you to do. That's why you delegate in the church. So this idea of just becoming like, a, um, you know, I'm up here and I don't have to do anything anymore, whoever that might be in the church, that doesn't exist. You go then do spirit, the, the spiritual work of, of prayer and preaching. I, I can tell you that um, however good you think my sermons are, you don't have to answer that question, um, they are better because uh, every Sunday morning, Connie Burson gets here early and I don't have to worry about setup. Just being honest, right? And... I would be a worse preacher if Connie weren't here doing that, right? And, and, and so this stuff matters. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Okay, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set before, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. They picked seven guys. Uh, not even the disciples. They said, pick out these from among you. And so the people picked the seven, and the seven came up then, and uh, these seven come out of relative obscurity. I'm going to talk about two of them in greater detail in a moment. They become pretty popular, pretty famous in the history of the church. And you know, one of the seven becomes one of the most well-known heretics in the history of the church. Jesus picked 12. One of them became one of the um, most well-known betrayers. These guys pick seven. One of them becomes one of the most well-known heretics. Jesus was better picking than these guys, right? 11 out of 12 is better than six out of seven. Okay. Um, but here's the lesson. 
There are always going to be leadership mistakes in church. Always. They picked seven. One of them became a famous heretic. Read Revelation. You follow the works of the Nicolaitans. Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch. Here he is. There's always going to be leadership decisions that are made poorly, even when you're seeking the Holy Spirit, even when you're asking God as wisdom. So what does that mean for us as a church? It means that when we see mistakes, we don't just run, uh, we don't just throw stones. We understand that this is just, this happens. It happens. There's always going to be mistakes. They, those guys, they were direct reflection of Jesus's leadership. That's why they were six out of seven. We're like 2,000 years separated, so we're probably going to be like one out of three. And so when we mess up, when I mess up, when our elders mess up, would you give us grace, please? Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So they pick these six. And these six um, establish some better systems, apparently, because we don't see this complaint happening again. They fix the ministry problem that they had. They allowed the disciples to refocus back on properly prioritizing um, scripture or preaching and prayer. What do we draw from this? Well, first off, that um, we need good leaders and godly leaders more than ever before. But as our church moves into the future, and over the last few weeks as a church, what we've been doing is just refining our systems so that we can serve people well. From the kid um, who walks into the first time to the new family, um, to each and every one of you that are here so that we can properly serve, because it's not just church, it is church. And how we serve matters. And so we need more and more of you who are good leaders and godly leaders to rise up and to step into your role. Because when you do, then others can step into a different role that God has for them. Secondly, we have to continue to properly prioritize preaching and prayer, which is why, again, we're going to meet on this Wednesday night at our offices, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for each other, and we're going to pray for the ministries of our church, and we're going to pray for the advancement of the gospel. And we're going to properly prioritize preaching and prayer in our church. Because we're going to see here at the end what happens when we do. So this is where the, the text is. And some of this might seem almost um, elementary. But the book of Acts included only a very small amount of things that was going on. And if this made it, then it must be a bigger deal than maybe we first think. We have to do this right. Verse 7, three results of this, by the way. That when you handle conflict well, when you make the adjustments that you need, three results. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. When you handle conflict well, when good leaders and godly leaders step up, when you properly prioritize preaching and prayer, the first result of it is that there are more and more disciples of Jesus. In fact, at the beginning of this story, it said that the disciples were um, increasing. Now they're increasing, uh, they're greatly multiplying. In other words, what was happening before the conflict, uh, and now an exponent has been added to it. It's actually multiplying. And the difference between the beginning and the end is how they handled conflict and the establishment of good and godly leaders. And so those two things produced even greater ministry on the other side. The second thing it produced is a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
Earlier, before this, the priests were throwing people in prison. They were their opposition. In other words, when we handle conflict well and we properly establish our systems and we prioritize preaching and prayer and good and godly leaders step up, what used to be a problem now becomes part of the solution. The priests weren't on their team. This is all we see that changes. And now they are on their team in great numbers. Here's the third thing that happens. Stephen and Philip, two guys who were relatively obscure before Acts chapter six, before we see this list of seven, we've never seen these two men before. Now we see them because of their good reputations, because they're full of the Holy Spirit, uh, because they're faithfully following Christ. And now they're put into these positions as deacons to serve food to the widows and orphans. And after they step into that spot, God opens up brand new things for them. Stephen, right after this chapter, is going to end up preaching one of the most famous sermons in all of history in Acts chapter 7. He's going to become the first Christian martyr. And he's going to be known forever. A guy who, up until this moment, was obscure. God uses the disciples making wise decisions and dealing conflict well to elevate Stephen to a new place of ministry. Philip, who was pretty much unknown up until this point after the whole story of of Stephen and his famous sermon and all of that. After that, he brings the gospel into new lands. So God is going to take these two people who no one has ever heard of, who are just being faithful and following God, and now he's going to use them to do new things in new places in new ways. Which means if we as a church properly handle conflict, and if you as an individual uh, grow in Christ, and you're full of the Holy Spirit, and you have a good reputation, and as we follow Jesus as the head of his church, he's going to begin to do new things through new people. In other words, some of the greatest ministry that's going to come out of this church is some of you right now who are living in relative obscurity. But as you step into what God has called you to do, and as you are faithful in these ways, that new ministry will begin to explode in a way that we can't contain, and the Holy Spirit will use it. Just because they handled conflict well. That is a powerful story. Now, around here, briefly, this is how we're going to say these things, just so we're all on the same page. This is how we're going to say it. It's on the back. It says what we value. Three things, three phrases that we're going to use around here to remind us of this truth. The first one is theological richness, which means properly prioritizing preaching and prayer. It means everything we do around here has to be centered around the gospel. It has to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. It has to be covered in prayer. And it's to always go back to Jesus. The second thing is godly excellence. Because we believe that how we do ministry is important. We also believe, oh, because we believe ministry is important, we also believe how we do ministry is important. And so in every aspect of what we do as a church, we're going to do it with godly excellence. Because how we operate matters. And sometimes the, the very credibility and integrity of the church is at stake. Those of you who were with us at the parade yesterday, Uh, We were blessed by a guy who actually goes to another church with that whole trailer and that whole setup. And that guy did that excellently. If it would have been up to me, okay, my minivan would have been pulling a wagon. (laughs) You can't tell me that that trailer doesn't send a different message than a wagon. Excellence matters. And how we do things matter. 
Which is why, if you're a volunteer around here, let me just challenge you how you execute matters. Words, language, smiles, all of it. It matters. And the third thing we're going to say is meaningful relationships. So we do all of this in the context of relationship because church is a family, not a business. And so we do it with compassion and caring one for another. And when we do that, we'll pray that the exact same things that happened here would happen in our midst. The new people would do new things. That the number of disciples would multiply greatly. And that things that used to be problems or areas where we used to have no breakthrough would become part of the, the movement of God. In closing, if you have conflict right now with me or anyone else in this church, would you allow the Holy Spirit to create greater commitment out of it? Because right now, unsaid conflict might actually be holding us back and we don't even know. So let's deal with it. Secondly, is God calling you to be a good leader and a godly leader? Be faithful where you're at. Or step up if you haven't. And then for all of us, let's make sure we keep prioritizing prayer and the scriptures and keeping them in their proper context. Thanks for watching this video. If you want to learn more about our church, go ahead and click the link in the description or head on over to experienceredemption.com. Have a great week, guys.